Hey guys, it's Jake from the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, and I wanted to leave this little message at the start of the podcast this episode, because as you may know, uh, me and Zeke have had to do some adjustments to record the latest episodes due to everything happening around the world with this pandemic, and uh, we've been really lucky so far that everything's gone quite swimmingly. Unfortunately, we had some tech issues in this week's episode, so don't worry. If you're looking forward to our under-the-skin discussion, don't worry, it sounds excellent, However, the first half of the show where we talk a bit, a bit of, you know, what we're catching up on throughout the week, uh, we had to do a bit of salvaging to get those recordings up to snuff. So hopefully uh, that's okay and you guys don't mind the the audio. It's not perfect as we always love it to be, but uh, I think it's still very good and uh, it's better than having to record an unauthentic retake of the podcast because that's what we want. We want authenticity in our shows. Uh, so anyway, sorry for the inconvenience. Hopefully it sounds just as good. If you want to jump straight into our Under the Skin discussion, just jump about 35 minutes into the podcast, and that second half sounds crisp and Christine as always. Uh, so thank you for listening once again. This is Jake, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Going, guys, I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show podcast, episode 68. Ooh, happy May the 4th be with you, Zeke. May the 4th be with you too, Jake. Thank you. It's, it's a big day. <laughs> it actually is May the 4th, and this episode will come out on Star Wars Day. There you go. Beautiful. As a once was a Star Wars fan, and <laughs> not a Star Wars fan, and now I'm back to being a Star Wars fan. I'm ready to talk about some movies. It's a bit of a roller coaster for you, isn't it, lately? It's a bit crazy when you think about it, because um, obviously the sequel trilogy, is that what they call Yeah, that's, yeah, sequel trilogy. Um, had uh, a bumpy road itself. Very bumpy road. <laughs> and ended up hitting a light pole at the end of it. But, um, <laughs> no, I've obviously... That little girl from Hereditary, we all know what happened to her. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen her. Oh, okay, okay. Over a year. I just haven't braved myself to watch it yet. So that means you haven't seen either of the the Ariasta messed up, not quadrilogy. What's what's a double duology? Is that it? When it's yes, two films? Yes, I don't know. Maybe. Two-parter? Yeah, I suppose. He's uh, two films. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some movies. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a bit about Star Wars at the end of the show. Yeah, I don't really want to do too much Star Wars this week because there'll be a lot to watch in the week coming up. And That's true. also, uh, I have a lot to talk about from that that whole thing. And I've already got a lot to do this week. So Yeah, <laughs> you got a lot. Let's let's get started, Zeke. On a... Well, actually, before we get started, I just want to quickly say that last week I talked about uh, one of these YouTubers who does like a lot of video essays on like um, females in uh, the acting film industry and specifically ones who won Oscars. The name was Be Kind Rewind. So go on YouTube and look up Be Kind Rewind because she's great. And her latest video was on Tony Collette, which was awesome because everything with Tony Collette's awesome. Yes, it is. Tony so, Collette is a banger natural. A national treasure. Absolutely. So I just wanted to throw that in from last week. Uh, but yes, Zeke, you got a bucket list this week. I watched nine films in the last week. Oh my goodness. Um, the fuck. Funny thing is, about, by about <laughs> midweek, I think I only watched two and I just had a couple of days of just film after film. Last night, I was just brain dead, so I ended up watching about three films in one one sitting. Right, yeah. Um, but uh, honestly, it's been a way more positive week uh, for films. I haven't found far less crap. watched more. Good. So uh, your, your, your roulette 
sort of gamble has paid off this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were there were still some lows. <laughs> uh, so in the nine films I watched, two shockers, in my opinion. One was really bad. Oh. Uh, the Clapper with Ed Helms and Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried. I think it's Seyfried. <laughs> was really bad. Really mm. bad. Uh, sh- shit. I don't know what to say. I, it's funny with... I put Ed Helms, Jason Sudeikis, and Jason Bateman all in the same uh, category of they'll have like one film you're like, damn, that's that was a bit thought provoking, mm. quite charming and quite good, but then they'll have like five really shit films and you're just like, oh man, you guys have so much potential. Like you know, Jason Sudeikis had Kodachrome earlier this year, I really enjoyed. Jason Bateman has had films like The Gift that I was like blown away with, but I'm. Can't think of one off the top of my head with Ed Helms, but I'm sure I've got one in there somewhere for him. <laughs> it's funny because I'm watching The Office, the US Office, uh, with my sister and mum lately, and we're, we're about halfway through season three when Ed, Hel- Ed Helms becomes a regular on the show. I think that's... Yeah, and that's he's interesting, isn't it? It's like they all three of those guys came from those sort of shows. Like, Bateman had Arrested Development. Mm. Uh, Jason Sudeikis has been running around in all of those running crap, around those crap <laughs> you, know, you know it's funny I feel like there was a period in time where he was just the bit like the like the Topa Grace best friend character where all, mm. just the, the kind of comic bouncing relief um, like there was a period in the film where he was like that so they weren't great um, I did catch Moana for the first time this week. I saw that on your letterbox yeah lukewarm on it I didn't really care too much for it um, okay it, it was fine I think you mentioned that it was um, basically a less good Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, it's a really good. Uh, I think Jack made that. Oh, maybe it was Jack. I yeah. Agree with it. I think, and it was made by the same dudes who did Lilo and Stitch. Ah, oh, that makes sense. Um, don't quote me on that. That was a Jack line. Um, <laughs> We're quoting Jack in this uh, episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was fine. Like there was there was good enough stuff in there, but it wasn't like anything special i think things like tangled are better mm. um and then that sort of rounds off all of the kind of crap to mediocre i watched this oh and love rosie was crap it was a crap romance but it was like 11 at night and you know sometimes you just want to watch something bright. were you watching it with sarah no i just was oh. watching it um <laughs> oh, so you're so you're so you're allowed to say it's crap then yeah um <laughs> but uh i had a couple of other more positive experiences this week um a lot of three i handed the dished out a lot of three and a halfs this week uh, a lot of seven out of ten films mm. um which obviously means that then they're, they're good films but they're like you know they're just they're, they're just good, good but you walk away with a good but maybe in a month from now you probably may have forgotten you'd watched it and come back to it and be like that oh, was a good film um I watched uh, a couple of Netflix... They're called Netflix Originals, but I feel like it's just Netflix bought them and then they became originals. Yeah, I noticed that a lot with, like, when I was watching Better Call Saul and it was like, a Stan original. It's like, well, it's not, but okay. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So I don't really know where the Netflix... Like, the Netflix film starts and finishes sometimes. Uh, I watched The Incredible Jessica James, which was a oh, yeah. uh, one of those uh, kind of rom-com films with Chris O'Dell, Lakeith Stanfield, and... You know, leading lady uh, Jessica Williams, and she was awesome in this. Mm. Oh my! Uh, There's a really good balance between those three. Um, really good performances all round, and uh, it was funny and like charming. And it had like it was very it was very like consumable film, and you walk you walked out satisfied. 
Okay, you walked out of your room satisfied. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I watched uh, an Ellen Page film called Tolua, um, Okay. which is about, uh, she's like a drifter, and she comes across, through one thing or another, she ends up abducting a baby, and it's sort of mm-hmm. her on the run with this child. Um, and it was... It's like Psycho with a baby, and only the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was cool. I really liked it. Okay. Pacing. Um, I quite like Ellen Page, honestly, in, in yeah, what she, she does with her films. I generally do like it. When you were telling me that, you told me that off the show the other day, and I was saying, I think I was saying to you and Jack, that it reminded me of Flatliners, that really odd remake that she was in, and I was like, man, that was that was not a good film from memory. I don't know why they remade that film. The original wasn't even like that great. Well, I think, I think that with that one, they generally thought they could make, like, a good remake. Like, hey, we can actually make this better. Like, I mean, not great example because the, re- the original is amazing, but, like, you have Let Me In and then Let the Right One In. Yeah. Or vice versa. Where it's, like, they're both actually pretty good. The American and the and the Swedish version is really great. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I really like what she does with her performances. I think um, there's... I, I just, like, she's really easy to watch, like, in whatever role she's sort of mm. playing. I think... Maybe that's the Juno effect of just how charismatic she was in that. Yeah. Um, so clearly she's got a talent for it. And I, I do think she was really good in this sort of film. I mean, it was her with a baby again, so maybe maybe that's just the, the winning form. <laughs> that's the key. Uh, <laughs> give Ellen Page a baby. But I would give uh, both of them solid recommendations to watch if you wanted something, okay. particularly uh, The Incredible Jesse James. If you want something easy and consumable, then that's definitely that sort of popcorn chill film. Mm. Um, popcorn chill. And they've got... The thing is that uh, what sets them on that next tier, I think, of, of being more than just a very average to bad film is it's not necessarily the writing, but it's the stylism, like the actual mm-hmm. effort they put in. Um and they both, both those films had that. So, okay, uh, yeah, uh, I'll probably throw it over to you before I finish off on all mine. <laughs> Do you have um, I've got a couple of things. We might as well talk about um, the two films that I saw with you and Jack. So, for those who don't know, at the moment, uh, Western Australia is doing really well with the battle against Corona, and some restrictions were lifted. So, you, me, and Jack finally. Had a little had a little drinking session together. Oh and, crap! We watched a really bad movie together. I haven't logged it. Oh, oh really? You should, <laughs> you should probably go ahead and log it because <laughs> it's if if people follow us on Letterbox and they see that only I've seen these films or the one in particular. Jack by himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so you, me, and Jack, we finally hung out, had some drinks, got some Nando's, mm-hmm. caught up. Uh, uh, hopefully, on the tail end of all this happening. And we watched a few films together. The first one we watched on, I just want to say, this was Jack's... I, Jack wanted to do this. Okay. He wanted to do this. So we watched Smosh the movie, which I have no clue what Smosh is. I was like, it's a YouTube channel and a bunch of white guys in it. Yeah. Rich white guys. And the movie very much feels like rich white guys wanting to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, so just to save Jack from this recommendation oh, you saddled I'm... him with it was a drink to cringe game I don't care <laughs> in the past. Um, and yeah as you probably imagine we got very smashed because it is a cringe worthy film right it's oh my god I mean again the reward for one of the characters is what 30 girlfriends uh, it's like ugh, yeah. ugh okay yeah not wrong 
<laughs> that just that just tells you everything about this movie that you need to know. And the problem is, I said this to you, Zeke, I can't even give it my lowest grade on uh, Letterboxd because I watched Krampus the Christmas Devil, and it's like, there, that is the bar. That is the reference point for half a star. So even films like Smosh the Movie, I have to give at least one star because at least it wasn't that bad. I don't, I don't bad. know how you do that. See, to me... Oh, you got to see it. you got to see it. It's terrible. No, but, like, you, like, you've given out less half-star ratings than you've given out five-star ratings. Yeah, because I like watching good movies. <laughs> No, Typically, I mean, it's more like you're um, you're used to uh, this. I mean, this movie I gave it half. I've just given it half. Oh, there you go. He locked it just then. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, it's a it's a really bad movie. It, you're bang on. It's like, uh, and there's been a, a a plethora of these YouTube movies that came out. Not so much nowadays, but definitely in the period from like 2013 to 2018, they just, people started giving YouTubers money to make movies. Mm-hmm. They knew that there was a, that the ideology. People line, would go. I mean, it's a good business mindset. You know, you see a guy who's got 12 million subscribers. You know that if they, if that guy with 12 million subscribers goes, hey, I'm making a movie, there's a good chance they're going to make that movie. And they tend to give it to personalities over like, successful film channels mm-hmm. and stuff like that but um and the the funny thing is it's like you know who would you rather see make a movie would you rather see this you know smosh guys make a movie or would you rather see someone like i don't know chris stuckman or something like that mm. make a feature movie it's true I and mean, he does do those shorts now he or does. some shorts he does he does but again he has to fund them himself there's not some entity being like you have a million subscribers I mean, let's do this that's also one of the things where it's like, even I have like my sort of not issues because they do work for the fu- like the funding they put into their films because they have a successful YouTube channel, mm. you know. Um, but I, rem- I remember watching because he's done those things. I'm talking about Chris Stuckman now. He's done yep. those uh, sort of how to make, uh, uh, like how he's, his filmmaking journey. I think he calls it on his YouTube channel, mm. and it's really interesting because. Um, I think he talks about making his films and the struggles he made with his films, but he still had funding in his short films, like through his channel. Like yeah. Some, you know, good 10, 12,000, I think was behind his first short film. And it's like, man, if, if you, you and I collectively probably even had, haven't had $12,000 in all of our projects put together. Well, you probably have. I definitely have. Disconnected might bump me over. Possibly, but you're right. Like we don't spend a lot of money on our films. Yeah, that was a forty minute film where his is like a fifteen. That's film. true. So, <laughs> um, and I know at least he's worked for that funding, you know, mm. for his channel. Like it's been funded through there. But um, it's just a different sort of take. It's not micro budget filmmaking, really. At that point, I mean, at that what at fourteen grand or something for a short film. Uh, it's not micro. It's, it's still a maybe not micro. Yeah. Budget, but... Yeah. Probably just off the cusp, maybe, yeah. Well, I mean, I've always thought micro, if you had, like, a 15-minute short, would be, like... A grand or less. A grand or two, yeah. Yeah. Like, I could see that. I think that's where more micro is. Um, but tangent aside, it's still film tangent. Um, yeah, exactly. It was, shopping, well, it was a shopping film. Yeah, no, let's never talk about it again. Mix, mix of inappropriate <laughs> with crazy stupid and just felt like they got a bunch of friends together to make a movie. Uh, I mean, that's what all those films 
feel like. I mean, one we did make up for it. We watched American Pie after, which I never seen before. I can't believe you've never seen. Never seen American Pie, and um, it's funny because like a lot of, I thought it was gonna be one of those films when I watched it. And it was like, oh, I get a lot of these memes, a lot of these references, and no, it wasn't really a lot of that. But I actually I did quite enjoy it a lot. I had to rewatch it. First off, I asked you guys to put on the subtitles because you guys were just raving about the film to the point where I couldn't watch it because yes. I couldn't listen to it. Um, so we put the subtitles on. Watch it, it with subtitles. We were smashed too because we were smart. We were smashed. We so. were smashed after smosh. After smosh. So <laughs> it gets to a point that the, 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 generally when we we do our drink to cringe nights, it's normally we go out after a movie. Because by the end of the first mm. movie, it's normally hell. We ended up... We couldn't do it this time. Films, so. Yeah. No, but um, I... Yeah, watch it with subtitles, because we were raving about how good the subtitles are. Like, they're kind of aligned to each side of the screen based on who's speaking. It's, like, weirdly well done. But I enjoyed the movie. It was paced really well, because I, I rewatched it a couple of days later, like, properly. <laughs> without, without the Zeke Morgan Hine, Jack Beck commentary. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite... I think a film like Mean Girls is probably a little more enjoyable to me just because there was more interesting direction there. But you guys were even talking about like the colour scheme. You can tell it was sort of fought out when you're watching certain scenes. And it was edited really well. Like, I was like, oh, this is a really tight film and everything sort of flows really well. And, and I mean, you guys saw me. I was having a fun time watching it with you guys. Like, yeah. during some of... Like, when they're watching um, the, 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 the... I don't want to say foreign girl, but, like, the exchange student like changing through the webcam and stuff and then he runs back to, to talk to us like i was losing it but i was like yeah let's go it's, it's one of those things where i think everyone's gonna watch it at some point in their life and it just i think it, it it's pretty timeless aged film there are things that are obviously you know products of the time like that whole webcam sequence but it it's the ideologies behind it which haven't changed at all mm. and, and i think that's why I, I mean, I only watched that film for the first time maybe a year or two ago. Okay. Not too long ago. So. Then why are you giving me shit for it? <laughs> um, well, it was a year or two before you. Um, blech, blech. But, uh, yeah, so it's, I think just because that, that sort of stuff was in there, it's become quite timeless. And I definitely think it's been a huge influence for, you know, heaps of films that came after it. I mean, Superbad's mm. probably the first one that springs to mind. It's obviously compared to the Superbad, it is very similar. Yes. Um, probably, I think Superbad's a little more. Um, I mean, it's the same goal essentially. It's a road movie more Superbad. Yeah, in a way, like there's there's enough split storylines that are away from the idea of like, oh, we got to sleep with this person. But in terms of like the aesthetic and the the crudeness of it, I mean, Superbad's way more crude. I was shocked at how not crude American Pie is. Yeah, it's it's pretty focused. So, um, which I quite like. Um, I think it's why I like that film a lot more. Yeah, um, I can see that. Did you catch anything else? Uh, so I finally watched the second season of Kidding. So this is the Jim. No. <laughs> how dare you, sir? Um, no. So this is second season of Kidding, which is on Stan, and I talked about the first season on. I think it was. About half an hour in episode 32, I fact-checked this last now, or Koya Nesquatsi episode, uh, which will actually come in a bit into my discussion with the film of the week this week. So episode 32 is a nice little prelude into into episode 68 on this show, I'd say. I know, but I watched the second season of Kidding, and I remembered initially being like, there's a lot of potential here. I love Jim Carrey's performance and what's going on, but I think tonally it was a little inconsistent. I didn't like where a lot of the story threads were gone with some of the side characters. Then I watched season two and I was like, holy shit. 
this it kind of blew me away how good this season was the the way it interweaved all the like first off tonally they fixed all the tonal issues it very much it's still a light-hearted like comedy or uh, tragic comedy what's the term comedy tragic whatever tragedy or something no that's tragic comedy (laughs) it's something like that yeah there's like an abbreviation of hyphenated thing but uh that's kind of the idea of it and it's still that but i think they nailed the tonal aspects where everything feels consistent and from one episode to the next and sometimes it's a little frustrating that it's a lighthearted because some of the themes they attack on some of the things that happen is like wow this is really dark and they kind of deal with it a little more lighthearted than say if i would have directed i would have but i appreciate the direction like i appreciate that they're keeping it lighthearted so you can go in and still enjoy it from that perspective but no i was just shot by the fifth sixth episode and i was like wow all the different characters and the way their stories are going are like so perfectly feeding into this idea of you have this mr rogers-esque character in jim carrey or mr pickles who after the first season his image is starting to fall apart and you have this image imagine if 30 years into his career uh fred rogers all this stuff started coming out about him or not necessarily like allegations but he started to become an unhinged person and his opinions started getting directed in the wrong area and how dangerous it is to have that image spread out so one of the things is uh he wants to create this new toy line where he has like a bluetooth connection to the toys so you can actually have a two-way conversation with the kids which in his head is like oh this is a way for me to reach the youth without the need of television but what ends up happening is that the parents find out about it and it turns into this whole thing where one is trying to get sort of revenge there's like a side arc that was sort of dealt with in the first episode but uh, first season rather that now leads to his sister running the show instead of his dad and this leads to all sorts of issues when they create new episodes that are now sent to other countries so now he has other people who are playing mr pickles in other countries being killed because there's no censorship because the sister doesn't know how to do that she's new to the game and it's like and half of the stuff i'm saying is stuff that sort of i figured out watching why oh this would have happened because of this this would happen because of this and i was like fuck it's just so clever it's so clever it's good yeah the positive take from that show that's a Stan original. That's a Stan original. So I think it's like a Showtime thing as well. But for here, the best way to watch it is Stan. And it, yeah. it's really excellent. And even like the fifth episode, it does the BoJack thing where the entire fifth episode is like the Mr. Pickle show, like the show within the show. And it really cleverly sort of pushes the story forward. But it's just one of those things where it's like, man, it's just so clever. And they use the puppets to the fullest extent there. And I know, I just really, really like that show now. It's so clever. No, that's fair. Um, the only other things I have caught this week, uh, were, uh, American Psycho, first time. Right, uh, yes. I felt relatively positive about it, um, not, like, blown away, but obviously, okay. uh, after you said to me that that was Christian Bale's breakout role, then that sort of made sense to me, that, right. why that was such a important role for him, because it's like, you obviously take for granted nowadays when you see Christian Bale and... Mm. movies and he's doing what I always refer to as a Christian Bale which is just getting overly immersed in roles to the point of absurdity but well that's even when you see him in um uh the is it machinist and so yeah, the pronounce yeah the pr- pronunciation of it but uh, even like Batman and stuff when you see him all the prestige when you see him in these films it's because of American Psycho I feel like okay so that's sort of uh, where his career went from that point on tight film really enjoyed it um 
I like. I characters. love how fucked up it is. It's pretty. It's pretty fucked up. It's a uh... Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Do you have like a dog here? <laughs> I love that scene so much. Um, I also managed to catch uh, the documentary Shirkers. Hey, you know what? We talk about that on episode thirty-two. <laughs> really? Yes, I'm not even joking. There you go. It's all it's all coming together. It's all coming together. That's um, a film with some style. I like the way they do it there. Yeah, I like the way they did that. That was definitely a, a unique approach to that whole idea. And it does actually leave you wanting to know, like, you know, to follow the journey. Mm. You're curious as to why certain people did certain things in it. Um, I don't really want to spoil it that much. I think that there's an interesting balance between uh, the uh, filmmaker, I think her name's Sophia Tan. No, I think it's... um, Because I literally just re-listened this yesterday. Sandy Tan, that's it. Pardon? Um, sort of the, the balance between her ego and uh, the, the world around her. I never really got an egotistical sense. I love that the Singapore community sort of came together to work on this little, you know, not crappy, but like this little fun know, film project. Was the fact that she was a bit of a control freak and, and like... Yeah, but she's just a director. <laughs> sort of that dynamic. Um, and But it, inherently... Um, I find the interesting thing is that she, like the other two, uh, her two friends who mm. were the producer and can't remember what the other one was doing. I think she was, uh, she wasn't DOP, but she, they both had pretty important roles on the set and both of them at one point acknowledged the fact that things were going were going awry and Cheech mm. and Sandy chose to kind of ignore that at the time. Which uh, is kind of interesting, seeing as the events transpire. It's definitely a, 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 like a like an interesting uh, way to approach it too, to have all of like like the memories coming up and, mm-hmm. and showing the film because it sort of feels like people were talking about the film as if it came out, which was always the curious thing to me. I always thought it was going to go the way of like uh, you know like he released the film, but the fact that he never did. You know, the way they angle mm. the documentary makes it out, like, Shirkus came out, I think. It wasn't something that uh, never actually came out. Well, I think what that was, I never got that vibe, but what, what I did get is the fact that they, it was the experience that they had making the film, that still exists in their memories, and I think that's sort of what they were mostly mm. talking about in that case. No, okay. Um, and the other film I caught was... Jesus called, Christ. Uh, what's, what's that? <laughs> No, just how many films you've seen this oh, week. Uh, the half of it. Which okay. Which is a new, like I said, Netflix original documentary, uh, uh, not documentary, uh, drama film. And I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a, you know, it's an LGBT film. Hmm. Um, always Where's the plus, that. Zeke? Where's the plus? I can't remember the acronym off the top of my head. And it's set in like a real small, like a really small town called Squamish. And it reminded me of a small town that I visited in Canada, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the parody of it, which was called Squamish. Um, And it's sort of like this gated, very religious community, and obviously uh, it follows an Asian girl living in this, and her and her dad are the only Asians that live in this very rural, predominantly Caucasian community. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's sort of... It's the relationship between three characters and it's her 
obviously she's a um, she's a lesbian, or she's at least you know starting to self you know she just definitely self discover that. that yeah yeah um, and I kind of like the the you know we've talked about the whole coming of age sort of film of the last decade has has gotten a little saturated. Um, it definitely feels like there's a lot of mm. them out there, at least one a year. And I sort of like this one because it offered a unique approach to it. You know, I like, you know, we talked about some of our favourite films the last year with things like The Farewell and stuff like that. Mm. We start to get an idea of, you know, as two, uh, you know, Caucasian men who come from obviously different European backgrounds, it's nice to get sort of a cultural... Uh, different perspective, yeah. ...perspective for us. And this obviously doesn't go nearly to the same lengths as things like The Farewell and stuff like that, but it's also tackling a different topic. Um, mm. And... You know, um, I'm I might have enjoyed it more than other people might have, but uh, it seems to have received a relatively. It's a very new release and seems to be getting relatively positive reviews. And it's stylistically okay. really impressive. I think that's the thing that I always get worried when I see Netflix original because I feel like it's going to be a film that has at its core a really good concept or a good idea, but it's washed out by Netflix's almost factory produced films, which mm. barely lack. They lack substance a lot of the time, and only a few Netflix films every year get to have like a bit of aesthetic to them. So yeah, I cool. I, really, I did really enjoy it. Would recommend. I would definitely recommend it. Nice. There you go. So Netflix churning out the films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess we're moving into the the next part of the show. Right? Yeah. Well, are there any career updates right now? I have a couple. Um, well, there's some that neither of us can talk about, which is exciting. So, ooh, very cool. Uh, but there's two things I want to talk about. Um, so I'm actually producing a new podcast. Look at that. He's betraying us. <laughs> I'm going against the world. Uh, no, so this this is actually one that I'm producing. I was a guest star on the first episode, and all preceding episodes from now on, or succeeding episodes, I suppose, I will be like editing and producing and all of that. I won't be behind the mic necessarily but uh so it's a new podcast that's being hosted by my friend camilla and it's called ability advocacy and it's about sort of experts and advocates of and individuals with certain intellectual physical disabilities and what's cool because i went on the first episode talked a bit about my journey with autism going through the western australian schooling system so you can hear me talk about that on that podcast which is only on podbean at the moment we will get it to spotify and apple and all that stuff very soon uh, gotta get that funding, Zeke. Gotta get that money going. Uh, but no, it's really get cool. Gotta get those deals running with the <laughs> with the other the networks. Uh, so that's a podcast that's out now on Podbean again. That is Ability Advocacy. So go check that out. And uh, so I promised the last couple of weeks that I would talk a bit about the South Getaway. Oh shit! Did I? <laughs> I think it just spoiled the name of the the script. Well, I don't think I was meant to say that. <laughs> you know, as an expert journalist, I oh. do get this information out of my Oh, no. Oh, shit. I didn't even have to speak a word <laughs> to get it out. <laughs> oh, you cheeky bastard. Um, that's okay. I'm happy. Well, anyway, like uh, like I mentioned earlier, I finally finished my feature script I've been writing throughout the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent it to you yesterday, so I doubt you've read it all yet. <laughs> So you can't really interrogate me on, like, what's the meaning on page 36 on this thing? Um, but now you have it, so that's cool. And, see, I promised that I was like, oh, I was going to talk a bit about the script, but now it's like, I don't really know how to talk about it. Uh, let's start with how long it is. 
<laughs> it's 156 pages. Uh, For those who might not know, generally we offer a page a minute in scripts. Mm-hmm. So if you can do the math, that's two hours and 36 minutes. That is correct. <laughs> but um, here's the thing. So I am going off social network rules with that, hopefully. Because I do look to inspirations like Blue Jay and Francis Ha, which are films we've talked about a bit on the show earlier, uh, where it is sort of mumblecore films where a lot of the dialogue spouted out very quickly. So my hope is that, uh, like the social network, you know, you look at the one minute per page thing, and that usually, generally, is pretty correct. Yeah. But if you look at the social network, I think that script is only... I actually think it's very similar. I think it's 165 pages but it's, it's, it's not even a rule it's, it's just a guideline yeah exactly about films like once that had a pay uh, they i think he 60 page scripts only 40 to 60 pages. okay yeah yeah and that film is 88 minutes so something like roughly around the 80 minute mark yeah so exactly so it, it, it just depends it all depends because like the social network the script is way longer than the film itself i mean it was it was a studio network decision to make it under two hours and they sort of had to prove a point with that script but then you have The Irishman. That script is not as long as the film. That script's like barely 140 pages from memory. So it does fluctuate a lot from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, obviously, maybe just for now, you could tease a premise. Okay. Um, so the, the title is The South Getaway. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Yes. <laughs> um, so you're going to the deep south of I'm going America. to the deep... <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a period film yeah um jesus christ no so it's it's a very contemporary film although we do play with stylist well i'm hoping to play with stylistically based on like the costumes and the way we're going to shoot it uh that maybe it, it it's a contemporary film but maybe it's not going to look like one maybe a little tease there but it is about uh several sort of um friends who grew up in high school uh traveling back down south to sort of respark their collective connection uh through the method of a band that they all collectively love finally playing live for the first time so that's all i'm gonna say that's what you're gonna say that's the premise and uh things go from there yeah well i mean congrats on finishing a feature script thank you (laughs) many people can say that we got a long way to go don't we yeah well turn that to screen 2036 minutes i imagine there might be a little bit of (laughs) <laughs> I would love to see... I think my ideal was an hour 45. I would love to see this film come at an hour 45. Um, no more. I could do with less. But maybe that's... that. Even though that's how many pages the script is, that's in my head, that's how I see the pacing working out. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, um, um, but yeah. I've got no career updates at this time. That you're allowed to talk about. That I'm allowed to talk about. That's mm. the way I'm phrasing it. It makes yeah. it sound so uh, secretive. It is secretive. Um, okay, so then I guess it's time for us to move into our second instalment in our Countdown Through the Decades Ooh. retrospective for 2020. Um, I am already enjoying our journey so far. Nice. But uh, we're moving into the 2010s. As of last week's poll, we came to uh, the decision that Under the Skin is what you guys want us to review more over <laughs> Ex Machina. So... I guess to reiterate, Jake, what are we watching? Well, we're going to do just that, Zeke. This week on the show, watching Under the Skin. So you live alone? Yes. You think I'm pretty? I like her gorgeous. 
come to me. Disguising itself as a human female, an extraterrestrial drives around Scotland attempting to lure unsuspecting men into her van. Once there, she seduces and sends them into another dimension where they are nothing more than meat. Oh, that's a... Thank God for that logline. It's a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? Uh, not really. I guess it kind of is if you want to go in completely blind. Yeah. If you want to spend the first 30 minutes being like, what's going on here? This, uh, well, this this film was directed by Jonathan Glazer. Hasn't done a lot, has he? No. He's done like two or three features, I think. Uh, Which is I interesting. can't say I'm particularly familiar with any of his other work. I'd have to double check that. But He feels like an Aaron Aronofsky type. Or at least it's based on this film. I would guess that he's that kind of filmmaker. No, I don't think I've seen any others of his films. Mm. Uh, so, very interesting. He did a short recently, like a year or two ago, I think. But, yeah. That's him. So, an intriguing film, obviously starring uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Did you say... Hmm? I, I said Johansson. Oh. What did Sounds I say? fancy. You said Johansson. I said jo- Johansson. It's fine. They're, I both, I mean, they're both technically okay. correct. Okay. So. I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good balls. film. It's a weird <laughs> film. Uh, yeah, I, I was just saying to you before we... We haven't talked about it much, but I said before we were setting up the mics... That this is easily the most abstract film we've ever done on the show. Yeah, and I mean it's funny you brought up Koi and Escatsi, but that's also that's, yeah, a poetic doc. It's poetic. Co- it's it's it's. I mean, okay, that's a good point. That is abstract, but this is definitely the most surreal film we've ever done. Yeah, so yeah, I wouldn't sure. say Koi and Escatsi is surreal. It's abstract for sure. Maybe yeah. it is more abstract than this film, but you're right. It's very comparable in that way. Well, we both have very positive takes. I think we both sat on where we like just off the letterbox uh review right. that I saw you put up. Well it took me a while to get to that score but but um we'll talk about why in just a moment I guess. Okay. Um I think my initial thoughts to the film were I needed processing time definitely after finishing it. But uh sort of just like uh it's funny I brought up Chris Stuckman like uh, mm. I said in the first half of the show because he did a sort of a, a beat by beat of the film and it sort of just reiterated what I thought I had just seen. Um, his reading on the film was mm. very similar to mine. So okay. um, I really enjoy it. Um, and I think like if I was to go with like, oh, what were your fast opening points? It would definitely be uh, the music is the thing that <laughs> I think will be stuck in my head for a very long time, I think. Because <laughs> that... That's distinct for sure, and I love it. It's yeah. it. I've just taken taken aback from it. Um, I f- I actually googled who did the composing for it. Oh, that composer, uh, and I believe it was him. a band or an art one particular, an artist called and this is really intriguing called uh Mich- Mikachu. Okay, uh, Mika Levi, um, and uh, yeah, very intriguing. I think a lot of people probably inquire as to this score because it's such a distinct eerie uncomfortable score yeah, it definitely it sort of i mean it forebodes everything that's going to happen there's even there's even scenes throughout the film where there is sort of no sonic elements there's just two characters yeah. having a very mute conversation and then the music kicks in and it just completely reinforms the eerie mood that this whole film has and it really I think by the film's end, I was like, yeah, this is just a flat-out eerie film. Like, even when, when it finally kind of 
when I got it, when I got what the film was mm-hmm. right at the end, I was like, man, this is just eerie as shit. It's so eerie. But um, tonally speaking, that's just how it... And I, I like that this is our 2010s film because it is... I feel like it is kind of representative of very indie, very abstract 2010s. Yeah, film. I mean, there were a lot of films that even I've seen this year or last year from the 2010 period that uh, have that sort of same uh, vibe. This definitely wouldn't... If you told me this was like an Alex Garland film, which is Mm -hmm. ironic that this went up against Ex Machina, I wouldn't feel like it was too far off something like that, especially when you see when he went on to go to Annihilation. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I can see that too, actually. So... I, I do think that this is a whole branch of films that came out in the 2010s that had that sort of uh, uh, eerie, surreal, um, but predominantly focus on things around the human identity mm. So and what it means to be human. Um, to pit this film up against Ex Marketer, even with us not even knowing it, was actually a really good thing because they both actually have huge takes on what it means to be human in two totally different Right, yeah. Uh, sort of Two different forms, forms that the human yeah. body takes, in a way. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, so, it's an interesting comparison. Well, it, it's funny. So, um, there's so much to talk about with this film, so let's try and be succinct here. But you do talk about what it means to be human. So, I want you to tell me... We haven't talked about this film to each other yet. What was your... Because, again, it's very abstract. There's not mm. a lot happening. Everything that happens in the film, there's no monologue or voiceover. There's nothing that tells us why any of the decisions that have been made are happening. So, with that in mind, Zeke... What did you think this film was about? <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's about like at its core it's it's sort of um sort of that self-discovery of like emotions because at the end of the day um uh, and there's obviously a very huge turn and it's that sort of uh discussion of inner beauty meets exterior beauty hmm. and um and obviously, we've 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 talked about that. Obviously, um, Scarlett Johansson plays a character simply known as the female, right? The female. Yeah. So, I'm probably not going to call her the female the whole time through this review. So oh, bear with me. I'm not doing the thing where I say the actor's name over the character's name deliberately. It's just she didn't have a name. Yeah. Um, and I think it's sort of the this this yeah that self discovery of of emotions and what it means to be human and, and sort of the array of, of, of different ways people approach her in the world Mm. and of different statures and looks, um, because she focuses on her at first, her material beauty, but then finds sort of, uh, beauty in the world. And, and I, I think it's sort of that balance between the two and, um, sort of how the world perceives a single individual throughout. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you're probably closer to me because I have gone to the, the the bonus features DVD stuff and I've sort of looked at the interpretation that the filmmakers had. And I think yeah. you were a bit closer to it than I was because what I got out of it, it was, again, very abstract film. I think there was a particular scene we'll get into in spoilers when I realized I know what this is about. It's the, it's the huntress becoming the hunted at a certain point. It's someone who's, you know, you don't... F- I never feared for Scarlet, and then at a certain point, you start fearing for her entirely, and that was sort of my main takeaway, and again, that plays into, man, this is just an eerie, dark story about 
something coming to Earth because the film never really explicitly that this is an alien. It's definitely not human. Uh, at a certain point in the film, you realize, based, you know, based on what we'd know from the logline, mm-hmm. but it is about this thing coming in and the environment. You know, it it can't adapt to the environment around it, and that's sort of what I got um, with the form of the ending and what the filmmakers were really going for. So this is sort of what I interpret from the DVD extras is that um, it's basically about, it is identity. So that's pretty much the core of it. And it is about this thing turning from an it to a she specifically, which I thought was really interesting. I so, can see that. I think I think I think all of those interpretations are completely accurate. I mean, I definitely think there's there's cool. Yeah. The best part about it being such a an abstract piece is you can take those different sort of things, and if you go down the hunter huntress sort of uh, pathway, you know, you're diving more into the sort of concepts of like feminist theory and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where you start to talk about like voyeurism and sort of how it takes a lot of those feminist theory ideologies at first and kind of flips them on their head but eventually regresses back to you know core feminist theory values right things like voyeurism and scopophilia and stuff which this film definitely has it definitely addresses in some level for sure um even though at first i think that's you know you you hybrid that with the things of like yeah her moving from a from an it to a she is a really good way of describing it Mm mm-hmm because That's like a direct quote from probably the director or maybe Scarlett herself. Really she good. she did a lot of interviews for this. Really good. It's so a really good quote. Yeah. I know. I really love it. And again, I think I can look at particular scenes to justify each one of our points. I think your point is beautifully justified when uh, Scarlett meets the guy with the disfigured face, which I just want to quickly talk about. She's played by Adam Pearson, who actually does have the disfigured face in real mm. life. That wasn't prosthetic. And he actually came to Perth last year. I think he came to Revelation Film Festival. Really? Because I noticed the name and I was like, oh shit, he was in Perth last year. So it's pretty cool. So I think he gained quite a bit of popularity by being in this film, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 the literal turning point of the film, I think, mm. um, particularly with that, that discussion of there, the, the evolution from it to she, because, um, and I guess we're probably past the point of us uh, moving into spoiler yeah, review. Yeah, from now on, let's, yeah, let's talk about spoilers. Um... Because you should just watch this film, and I assume, mm. obviously, because of the the people wanting us to watch this film, they they will watch it. Um, and if you have sh- seen I'm it, I'm still shocked the people who've seen it though. Like, um, within our immediate circle, I, I would say it got a lot of like both this and Ex Machina were like sort of real, you know, leading films of their respected years mm-hmm. into in the independent scene. They were definitely sort of like, I uh, definitely know Ex Machina was like almost on like parasite levels of oh it's an independent film but it's it's pushed like sort of beyond the point of being really an independent i wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as say it's parasite levels of hype but you reckon it definitely was like a lot of people were talking about it when it came out for sure yeah, yeah. this is a bit more s- softly spoken but I, I've, yeah, I've well, I mean the only person i knew for a fact had seen it prior to us doing this show was jesse friend of the <laughs> show who was there when i bought the blu-ray for this okay. years back so, well, um, it's niche, I feel like. Okay, yeah. Um, so, really good film. Absolutely check it out. It's got some really good uh, open discussion in, in its interpretation, which I think is actually one of the film's biggest strengths, mm. that you can watch it and get a different meaning from it. Well, exactly. Um, I used this scene with Adam Pearson to justify your point of reacting to the people around her. Mm. And then I can even use that same argument to justify my 
idea of the not being able to adapt to the environment around her. So the, because yeah. it's so abstract, there's so many different interpretations and there's so many different scenes you could point to and be like, see, that's why I'm right. And you can do that with so many different versions mm. of the film. I love that. It's a it's a fascinating film because of how removed she is from what we know her as. I mm. mean, not, what, two years after this, she was playing a, a bubbly AI in her. Or, right. Or Actually, I think it was the same year. Same year. I think they're both 2013, yeah. So that's even more like to have that dichotomy of characters, you know, just polar opposites is, is crazy. Yeah. You know? And then a year before she did Avengers. Yeah. So she's killing it. <laughs> Um, and to have her, like, just have that sort of range is, is incredibly impressive. And also for her to only be really, at the, I mean, definitely at that point, the only named actor in it, really. Like, no one else in there. Everyone else was very, um... Most of them just random people off the street, literally. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. particularly, I, I, I was very curious when they were doing those sort of, they were like the hidden camera shots mm. that you see in in YouTube videos and stuff. And I was like, do these people know they're being like mm. talked to? Um, and I, I initially just thought, yeah, they're obviously actors and that's, but that's the approach they're going for. Right. But then they're, to find they're trying out, to have you question that sort of thing. To find out they were actually mm. those people. That must've been really hard with her. Cause, well, people, but she looked just different enough from probably most importantly, her black widow sort of look. Right, she had like a different hairstyle. She could just and... look like a person that looks like Scarlett Johansson rather than being. And her Scottish accent's amazing as well. Yeah, just for it's her. True. But uh, it's interesting because they do address that, and of course, yeah, a lot of those instances of her driving around talking to people were just people off the street mm. that they would probably chase with an NDA and a release form after after the footage was <laughs> shot. And what I learned watching the footage is, from the cinematography perspective, they had eight cameras running at once. And they had to sort of modify these film cameras and the lenses to fit throughout the van. They would actually have to modify the van as well in terms yeah. of like the gl- uh, the glove box and all that stuff. They had to re, you know, tool some of it to fit these cameras in and just roll for hours at a time. So it sounds like the editor had like thousands of hours of content to go through, um, which is nuts. And from the uh, performance perspective, uh, Scarlett actually talks about it in the bonus features and how. It actually helped her because it, it felt like, as opposed to her trying to serve the film as an actress, the basically the cameras were just chasing her. So it was almost like she was just in public uh, acting, performing, doing her thing, while also trying not to be recognized. Yeah. Because that would obviously ruin the authenticity of the film. But it kind of gave it that documentary feel because it almost literally was a documentary. Well, yeah, and it actually made her feel like a predator. Absolutely, yeah. Which is what I think the intended meaning is, and, and that's what I really like about it. And um, I sort of like the idea of, particularly in the the first half of the film, um, for the most part, we're meant to perceive her as the threat. Mm. Uh, up until a point with... Um, I mean, the turning point is not only the, the scene with Adam Pearson, but it's the engagement with the motorcycle man after that. Okay, yeah. With, her, with his inspection of her. And for this, up until this point, we're positioned to make her feel like the predator of the film and the one with all the power. Yeah. But in, in the state of one scene with no spoken dialogue, we immediately know that she's really, she's nothing more than a servant to him. And... That's sort of where I'm like trying to make the point where it felt like it definitely, like the film 
in one way, in at, at least in, in one point, it's like trying to like showcase that sort of. Uh, I want to say female empowerment's the right expression, but it, it definitely has an empowered female character who loses their power in a, in in one scene, mm. which and then it's sort of she goes from being the person we're supposed to fear to the person we sympathise, and and that transition's so interesting how that happened because obviously because you start to see that she's not doing this for her. I mean, you see before that, but you don't. But it's more the fate that like. We know these men, they're being mushed up into to meat and sent to this, yep. we assume, a mothership? I, yeah, that, um, that along with one other thing I'm going to ask you about in a minute, that was what really threw me off with some of the storytelling. Um, but it, it's her serving the higher power, but mm. really she's not even the most powerful person in on Earth. You <laughs> know, there are people there enforcing her and hunting her down after she... You know, goes AWOL. So I, I like that sort of uh, kind of power shift and it really helps with making us care about this person that has seemingly, you know, killed people without any remorse prior to this point. Right, yeah, there's definitely no sympathy. And to have that transition happen in a film that's only 100 minutes long, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's interesting with the... Lang- well, first off, I'm going to ask, with that guy who was sort of driving around with the van stuff... Mm-hmm. I, finishing the film, I had no idea what his role was. I was just a little too confused, so... He's basically an enforcer. So, his whole... The whole thing is, I believe that... Take it, you will. He's <laughs> the one that's basically lording over these... He's sort of like the enforcer bee and they're the worker bees, you know? Like, if the worker bees aren't doing their job, they'll replace it and pick a new one. So, the start of the film where he goes into the darkness, comes out with the the lady... Uh, mm, okay. I believe it is because she started to develop emotions much like what happens to Scarlet so she got replaced with Scarlet who was you know autonomous at that point mm. you know sort of so um, and that's why they have that shot of her crying with the one tear yeah yeah even face. though she, yeah compass- incapacitated but yeah yes and yet she's not supposed to feel so things like crying shouldn't exist for someone okay. like her um, I can see that yeah yeah and then, of course, it leads into the shots of, like, assumably alien ships at the top of a skyscraper leaving. And then Scarlet descends down the apartment stairs. So that's mm. sort of where they've they've dropped her off. And then right. she goes on to do all of the things that the other woman that she replaced was doing before. But okay. obviously without remorse. So we end up... And then that bookmarks, obviously, the start and finish. Um, it makes it very clear that this is a problem and this is why he needs to constantly be there just in case she starts to get attached. Because if you think about it, right, the more she engages she, yep, 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 and okay. talks with other people, the more she has, she develops self-awareness. Mm. You know, she's no, at first she's nothing more than basically an NPC. She just has a set <laughs> set of lines and a, and a wonder driven goal. Yeah. And, but unfortunately the more she engages with people and the, and the world around her, the information has to go in in order for her to blend in, but at the same time, it conflicts with the the goal because you start to... See, it comes to things like when she falls over and people come to her, her aid, she's confused because these things were nothing more than basically yeah. harvest. Mm, okay. I, yeah, I could definitely see all that. I think what I was confused about his role yes. initially was I, I... So I'm guessing he's not human then. 
No. Okay. I, I always thought that she had come down and somehow there was some sort of communication with this guy where now he's doing things for her. So that all... His world confused me. That makes a bit more sense. And I do love that justification because you're right. Once she deals um, with the guy with the disfigured face and she has that change of heart, that's... You're right. It is the turning point. It's the emotion kicking in. Because it, it, so, it's yeah, him investigating her to see if... Well, if she's emotional, if she's mm. got actual remorse or, or feelings that help reinforce the shift between from it to she. Right. I I like it. I like it a lot, Zeke. No, that's good. Because, yeah, I was, I was definitely confused about his role. But that was essentially it. And, again, so now that we're in spoilers, I think it's fair to say that the scene when, for me, it sort of clicked the huntress turning into the hunted, uh, the she's looking for prey, now she becomes the prey. And mm-hmm. this is justified by everything you're saying. Like, it all sort of slides into that narrative mm. idea as well is the scene when she wakes up in the woods or in that barn and there's someone essentially trying to rape her as she wakes up and that's when I realised the tide had completely shifted in terms of her position in the world and that she was on the, the downs the, the downward spiral I guess yeah and losing I, what's that power shift yeah mm-hmm. and then of course he it's his actions in that scene where he goes from lust to fear in, mm. as soon as he you know as he oh, rips off his clothes skin, he yeah. sees that her skin's not her skin and under the skin mm. she is something that he didn't think mm. and it comes back to his initial reaction is not to uh, just run away it's to run away and then douse her in flames exactly yeah scared you know? but not scared enough yeah so like it's, it's sort of that perception um which is and um, it's it's things like the the power she has in that last scene where she takes off her face, but she's looking at her face. That was a great shot. Like and just the a, visual effect. It's of one that. of the best shots in the thing because it's it's it it basically in a nutshell sums up the point of the film. She doesn't r- recognize who she is mm. because she thought that's what she was. And they do really good teasers with things like the mirror shots leading into her with her from at first not even acknowledging a mirror's existence, but by the end there's a whole scene of her staring at herself in mm-hmm. the mirror with like, you know, completely naked. And it's sort of that actualization of identification. Which is, yeah, it's fascinating because it's so visual as well. But then once the skin comes off, that, that visual identity is teared away. It's nothing more than Physically just... and literally. Yeah, and exactly. Literally and then at that point, it's just this figure that we, we can't interpret. There's no facial features or no. anything like that. It's just this thing that burns and dies at the end. Yeah. So um, I can really absolutely sick. see that. <laughs> it's great. That's a great ending. But um, and it is one of those like wow, okay, I, which is funny because like I was and about... it, it. It really is enhanced with the music of that. Oh scene. my god, yeah. I mean the soundtrack. Well, I mean the sound design. Period. Like it's not just yeah. the music and the. There's like the, a lot of the stings that come in at certain points. It's just, it's eerie and it does remind me of films like The Lighthouse and midsummer and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, um, I mean, it has a really good use of... Uh, and to further bolster your interpretation of the hunter-huntress mm. um, is that, impl- you know, implication of sound lay motif where uh, the the score, whenever she's luring a man into the other dimension, plays, it plays in that last scene too when she's being hunted. Right. So it's that sort of... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. But it's a subtle use of basically reinforcing your idea. So I just thought I'd throw that okay. one to thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, yeah, I like how we're just justifying each other's ideas. Mm-hmm. More so than our own. I like it. But um, 
All right, well, let's see. I've got some notes here about... Let's talk about some of the specific aspects. And what's cool about the... Again, I'm going to keep boasting the Blu-ray because there's a lot of cool stuff on it. The way they did the bonus features is they pretty much did like 15 different little featurettes, but each one focused on a different thing. Like one even focused on the development of the poster and how they had like a day to, to put together all the elements and even how they changed the text and where to put the tech, which we've obviously dealt with a lot in posters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a very important sort of part of it. Yeah. That sort of... Just uh, the promotional aspect of it. It's one of my favourite parts, making a poster. Oh, it's so great, isn't it? It's very satisfying. It's the cover art, basically. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but going um, further into that, it does tackle like editing and, and sound and all of that stuff. So I want to talk a bit about the cinematography because mm-hmm. it is pretty fantastic in this film. But... Like you said, it it felt like watching a YouTube video at times with a lot of the secret cameras in the vans. Yeah. But then, on the flip side, there's a lot of photography in it that does look very clean and crisp, especially when she's in that sort of black void. Very mm-hmm. surrealist moment. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. I Probably not. Let's be honest. No. <laughs> it's a very abstract film. But what I noticed, um, even though it was... You could tell this is the restraints that they had, that they could use their best gear and lighting and stuff in a restrained studio... And then out in the real world, they have to use these smaller, mm-hmm. more compact cameras. But it, I found it actually affected the aesthetic of the story because it almost felt like the the further she got away from her home, the more gritty the photography got. Yeah. And just sort of how dark and dreary and the camera quality itself isn't as nice. So I actually really love that. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think that's that's pretty bang on. Um, like that lack of cleanness. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's a really that's a good way of looking at it. Particularly in that scene where she's walking around <laughs> with uh, the, I'm gonna call him the nice guy. Uh, I mean, which one's the, the nice guy? Is the one she spends the night with. Uh, right. Okay. Oh, right. Like the carer guy who's yeah in the second half. Gotcha. And gotcha. he's like he goes and takes her to a like a like a historic landmark, and they're climbing it together. And and you watch that scene, and it's, it it looks yeah. You compare that to things like the being in the the other dimension mm. if you want to call it that and yeah that works uh yeah it, it definitely looks way more rough and uh yeah I, I agree and i mean there's still like motivated photography in it like it doesn't look amateur or anything like that oh no yeah. just because of the contrast between the two yeah it doesn't look as clean or clear yeah well yeah you know, when we say gritty and and i mean it literally was guerrilla filmmaking yes. but we're not saying that, oh, it's unwatchable, it's YouTube... Qu-. It's like, no, we're just saying the actual aesthetic of the picture is grittier. Yeah. More so than, oh, the pixel count's smaller. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> there's, really, there's some really pretty sequences. The the final sequences in the forest are really, like... They're gritty, but, like, they... And, the like... But they've still got that sort of awesome, like, aesthetic to them. And they're mm-hmm. motivated and quite, quite nice. And uh, all the, the earlier shots with her at the beach where um, she mm-hmm. does probably one of the, the... The funniest thing is, like, by the end you care about this woman, but she does do some very... Messed rem- up things. Yeah, like watching a whole family drown and then knocking out the surfer. He <laughs> <laughs> tried to save him. Uh, that is one of the most uncomfortable sequences I think uh, I've ever watched in film. I will say, and you mentioned it's a 100-minute film... I felt that a lot of the the editing and it's definitely a methodical pace, but I feel that was one of the only shots that I was like, I understand why this is so long. Yeah. It's like a long one two minute shot, and I'm gonna be honest, there's a lot of shots in here that don't need to be that long. Oh, that's fair. 
Like, when we're in the van and she gets out, she walks into the snowy abyss. Why are we still in the car for 30 seconds? I, we don't need to, guys. It's it's a 100-minute film. It could yeah, be 90. just got tired of cutting. <laughs> He's like, there's a million, million minutes of footage here. <laughs> Which I appreciate. I appreciate how much he would have had to deal with. Um, they would have had to deal with. I don't, I don't know who the editor was. But there were times when I was like, this show doesn't need to be this long. Come on. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um... Not really, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go into our highlight scenes, if you will. Yeah, I think I just brought up one of my highlight scenes. I really like that beach sequence because it's sort of like hauntingly long, and obviously it leads to, um, you know, the it's really sad the death of like having both of uh, both parents of a child mm. die in a um, sequence, and having uh, this surfer try and save them, and then as he as he comes back to the beach and he's exhausted <laughs> and kind of probably mortified with what he's just witnessed, having her just come up and clock him on the head with a rock. That that looked, oh, I uh, could not look at that. <laughs> while the baby's still screaming. It's really, really um, good way of summing up how removed she is from literal humanity. Mm-hmm. And it having a scene like that helps the first half of the film and then obviously contrasting it with her discovering sort of her humanity in the latter scenes. Um, I think uh, I've always been very on the fence about um, sex scenes in films. Right. Um, I know that when they serve a purpose in a film, but uh, I just don't care. I normally switch off for half of them. <laughs> and, but in this one, I, re- I really liked it cause it was, uh, it was, it, really did serve the plot. So this is the one with the caretaker guy? Yes. Yeah. So obviously she becomes quite intimate. Well, at least as, as close of. as she can get to mm. intimate with this caretaker character. I think she's discovering what intimacy is. Yeah. Um, and uh, that sequence is, is quite long, but it all makes sense why, obviously, because you need to capture the kind of awkward self-discovery of... of the art of lovemaking, basically. Mm. Well, they're, the they're playing where, that, yeah. Yeah, well, to the point where they're about to actually commence having sex and she doesn't actually even know what What's she about has. To happen, yeah. And so when it happens, she literally... Her reaction to the scene is, is really, really effective. Like, she springs up and she immediately gets the, the table lamp to check what's <laughs> actually going on downstairs. It's an interesting visual, actually, because uh, you see it from behind, of course. Yeah, but it's like... Sort of a moment where you're just like, oh, well, she really doesn't know the body she's in. Well, it's telling of the scene even earlier in the film when she's luring these men in, they're, they're taking their clothes off and stripping, which that could be one of my highlight scenes. Mm. But it tells you that she doesn't know why they're coming after her almost. Yeah. She doesn't truly understand why they're attracted and taking the clothes off and stuff. So it's cool that the self-discovery happens so late in the film almost. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, what about you? Yeah. Um, so I had a couple here. I like the, I mean, the opening, like the abstract opening with like the, the eye, the window to the soul and stuff. I like that. So, and the ending, of course. But I think mine has to be when she goes to eat that bit of uh, slice of cake and how long, the, again, that's another launch that I actually really like is how long it takes for her to experiment with eating and then she just spits it out. Yeah. It's like that's great editing. That's great timing on her behalf. It's That was a great scene. It was. It was. But, yeah. Now, I want to pitch somebody. I pitched this to you off the show, but I want to pitch it now. Okay. I have another scene that follows our highlight scene. It's called our good and bad social distancing scenes. <laughs> so, 
in light of everything that's happening around the world, it's a little uncomfortable to watch certain movies nowadays and be like, ooh, those people are very close to each other, aren't they? Or, so, yeah. <laughs> so I have a example of a scene with good and bad social distancing practices. Okay. Do you want me to read them first and then you can... Oh, am I supposed up? to guess? Oh, well, not, not just like ones that you thought of. Like, if you think uh, back to the film, what's the scene that stands out? It's like, ooh, don't... What are you doing? Going to a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good one, nah. Everyone's all close and rubbing up against each other. It's yeah. not great. Um, my bad social distancing practice uh, would be the guy giving out flowers on the freeway with a cut-up hand. That is a bad one. That would be mine. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Yeah. That's just bad in general, even if there's not like a virus. And then the, the good would be uh, her walking by herself. <laughs> yeah, that was very similar to mine. Mine is a few seconds after that when she bumps into one of the guys in the woods and they just have this conf- Oop, I just hit the mic. Uh, they have a conversation they don't touch each other they they keep about a meter and a half away from each other and they just have this little it's mostly him talking she doesn't really say much but yeah and then they just walk off in the opposite direction yeah good social like, distance yeah I was like that's a good one you can do that in today's society well but, no um, worries there you go <laughs> that was our second installment in our cinema side show countdown through the decades retrospective under the Skin is currently out in wide release. You can actually get it on Stan. And on Netflix night. Brazil. There you go. And Blu-ray, because the bonus features are awesome. Yeah, no worries. So, uh, so, that being said, what is new to streaming platforms this week, This Jack? week on streaming, it's an interesting one. So, as we teased earlier today, uh, today is the May the 4th. Be May with you. 4th, be with you, absolutely. Um, oh, I get it, because it's the 4th. Sorry. That's a really good idea for a holiday. It's actually a really great one, yeah. yeah. But uh, so there's a lot of stuff dropping in Disney Plus today in regards to Star Wars. So obviously Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker is now out the movie. You can watch on Disney Plus if hmm. you dare. It, uh, listen to our episode 49 review mm. of that sh- that film. If you hate the movie, then you will. <laughs> if you love the movie, maybe don't listen to that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also coming out today is Star Wars: Resistance season two premiere, and the series finale. Note, note that note that sorry series finale of the Clone Wars entitled Victory. And death. Mm. Yeah. So, um, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll talk a bit about the Clone Wars next week. Next then. week. Yeah. I've, I grew up with that show. I mean, I've watched all, every, anything that Star Wars, I don't think, except Resistance, I never could get into Resistance. So maybe I'll have to stomach that this week if. Okay. Um, season two. There you go. Yeah. Is it canon? I'm not sure. I, I, don't ask me. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just the one episode. Okay. Like, it's not the whole series drops at once. Yeah, I haven't watched any of that series. But um, I've watched all the Clone Wars and Rebels, and, uh, yeah, as a lot of people have watched, um, the last three episodes of Clone Wars has been... Uh, it's actually... All four of them are going to be put together in a... Like, they're they're marketed on Letterboxd as a movie. Oh, cool. 120-minute um, cool. movie, and I really hope at the end of this episode... Disney then put them in one supercut so you can just watch it as a standalone movie because it's definitely in there, but you're not like it's one of those movies you're not going to get anything out of it. Well, you're not going to get nearly as much out of it if you haven't watched the show because mm-hmm. there are characters that are exclusive to the show. Um, it does overlap with episode three and it has been a really cool experience. It's honestly, it's elevated, particularly the third movie in the prequels. Partially the first movie, can't say much about the second movie, unfortunately. <laughs> it's still a shit movie. 
<laughs> just watching, I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff and the fact of how much blue and green screen those actors had to work in. They weren't even sets sometimes. It was just blue screen. And there's a, there was a moment where it was like Natalie Portman was literally like, it's like you're making, it's, it's, this is a joke, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit intense. And that was George Lucas being frankly too lazy to go on location. So, yeah. Oh, well, that's that. But anyway, that's all coming out today. So by the time you listen to this podcast, all of that should be up. Uh, and later this week on Disney Plus is the first season of Time Scanners coming this Friday. So if you're a fan of Time Scanners, you can rewatch the first season this week on Disney Plus. Uh, on stand this week, uh, pretty blase week. It's just a lot of new episodes for shows. I think Stan does a lot of the weekly, you know, one episode a week approach, which I wish. I know Kidding did that too, and I actually kind of wish I watched Kidding week to week because mm-hmm. that would have been even more exciting. I feel like for me. But anyway, if you're fans of shows like The Last OG, Deuces and Mero, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, Monster Beach, Billionaires, Wolfblood, uh, those are all getting new episodes this week, so there you go. Cool. And one standout, I noticed, is something called The Wiggles Wiggly Wiggly Christmas Sesame Street Dance Party. So if I were to infer, that sounds like a Wiggles Sesame Street crossover. Yeah, that's crazy. I am going to watch that. <laughs> I am absolutely not going to watch that. But uh, none of those things are uh, what we're watching. Uh, 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 oh, beg my pardon. Netflix to get through. Oh, oh, our Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, pretty similar thing. Season 2 is of Dead to Me and Rust Valley Restorers are out. Season 4 of Working Mums. Jerry Seinfeld's 23 Hours to Kill. So there you go. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout comes to Netflix this week if you want to watch that. And uh, last but maybe not least, depending on how we feel about the show, Rick and Morty, the rest of season four begins this week. So I think it's Wednesday that it comes to Netflix Australia, the episode six of season four. Cool. So I really, I couldn't care less at this point. Yeah. Not, not, not. They probably lost watch it at some point. But... Yeah. They, they lost the magic man. They lost it. Yeah. But yeah. But, that, but there you go. Now like we're Like I said, none of those things are what we're watching next week on the show. Next week we are moving into our third installment of Ooh, our Cinema Star Show Countdown Through the, the Decades retrospective. And uh, yeah, Jake, do you want to go ahead and tell us what we're watching next week? Absolutely. So uh, we had a vote between two films that mm. you, the listeners, went. And uh, I'll talk about it in just a second. The vote was pretty uh, Decisive. clear. Decisive. Yeah. yeah. People yes. knew what they wanted this week. Next week on the show, we're watching Spirited Away. Hey! You said just a quick look! Now let's go back! You shouldn't be here. Get out of here now! What? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go! I'll distract them! Ten-year-old Chihiro and her parents stumble across a seemingly abandoned amusement park. After her mother and father are turned into giant pigs, Chihiro meets with the mysterious Haku, who explains that the park is a resort for supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm, and that she must work there to free herself and her parents. There we go, we got there in the end. I did get there in the end. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a, a mouthful. Might have to work on that one for next week, but that's all right. All right. I got been, there and I didn't make a mistake. It's been a very, very long time since I've watched Spirit of the Way, so... I've never seen it. Oh, my goodness. So I was really happy that our poll was two films. I, I'm trying to be cheeky with it because I want to get two films that I like. 
I've never seen put together. Right. Just because then I get another film for my 365 challenge. So there you Um, go. So it's a double down. Um, Also, I like, I sometimes like going into films not knowing too much about them and being pleasantly surprised. I've only ever watched one Studio Ghibli film, and I talked about it a few weeks ago on the show, Mm. How's Moving Castle. Uh, Enjoyed that well enough. Most people put this one at the top of the Studio Ghibli list. Yeah, I think this is pretty unanimously known as like the best animated film of all time. So Ooh. I'm really excited to revisit it because I watched it in primary school. Okay. As part of class. So I, and from memory, I can tell you that this logline really is not representative of the full film. I'm it, good. It I'm gives you a little premise, but there's a lot left in this film to explore. Um, I'm definitely happy for that. Um, How much so- do you think... That it won by against Mulholland Drive in our vote. Yes, uh, David Lynch's <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Uh, considerable, because we both... <laughs> I know my results, but I in, can't remember yours. In total, because for those who don't know, uh, me and Zeke post separate polls in our, on our respective Instagram pages, so yep. we have to sort of tally up both of our votes, and the total was 43 to 11. So Damn. people really like Spirit of the Way. 80%. 80% of Pretty our much, people. Yeah. Which makes me happy, because... I. I think this is going to be really enjoyable. We This is the first animation we're going to review that's not a Disney Pixar film. I think you're right. So, Which is kind of scary. Uh, that is a little bit crazy that it took 69 episodes, but hey, looking forward to reviewing it next week on the show. Let's but until it. then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow <laughs> Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Spirited Away.